0: Hi matey, welcome aboard! This be Disney at Play and I'm your host, Captain Jeff Cober. We be sailing the seven seas today and looking at Pirates of the Caribbean the world over. Well, only we're not just looking at the rides themselves. We are looking at the entire lands in which they're placed in. We're looking at the theming The entertainment, the stories, the dining, the shopping, additional attractions that are pirate-based, and so much more. This is a Disney comparison podcast, but unlike any other, and we are going to share with you insights from the Pirates of the Caribbean as seen from five different Magic Kingdom-style theme parks. So, steady as she goes, there be fierce comparisons ahead. While we have links available on our Disney at play website, the real treasure is found in our new Disney wayfinder society page, a Patreon group dedicated to the biggest Disney fans. There we have lots of interactive maps with guides and images and videos and charts and, and so much more. So be sure to check it out. Meanwhile, Let's set sail and take a look at Pirates of the Caribbean. We, well, of course, have to begin with the original, the one from the happiest place on Earth. That's where Pirates of the Caribbean was, well, first conceived, created, and delivered. It was the last attraction Walt Disney ever personally supervised all the way through, although it didn't open until some three months after it passed, after his passing. In fact, it opened on March 18th of 1867. He passed away in December of the previous year. Uh, there were many lessons from this first attempt, all of which has given way to improvements in the other parks, and yet still It is the benchmark that not only all pirate attractions are compared to but all attractions in all Disney parks and even all attractions in all theme parks. It's simply Walt Disney's greatest theme park attraction that he would ever create. People talk about Mary Poppins as being the culmination of his cinematic career where he combined live action and animation into this joyous musical. Well, that's what Pirates of the Caribbean is. It is It is that gathering of all of these brilliant ideas with, with audio animatronics and music and ride vehicles and and lighting and story. And it's just all brought together. And it really is an amazing attraction. It is... It is the one by which all others are compared. Now, the one at Disneyland, I don't know if you've been there. Have you been to more than one Pirates of the Caribbean? Because that's that's what we're going to kind of talk about here. If you love Pirates of the Caribbean, you're going to want to see it in other parks. And every park is uniquely different. Um, this one sits in what is known as New Orleans Square or sometimes referred to as the Port of New Orleans. We say the Port of New Orleans because it sits on the river bend overlooking the rivers of America. It's almost an extension of Frontierland. In fact, it comes where Frontierland and Adventureland merges together. And um, and it's this seminal point. The challenge that this attraction has had for many years is it just sits at this crucial apex where so many people are coming and going. And there is not enough room for, for queuing and for the passageway of guests that are moving through and so forth. There are additional pirate related attractions um, that have come and gone and are still around. Um, Early on, there was a pirate's arcade museum there were lots of arcades actually in disneyland almost every land seemed to have its own arcade maybe the exception of Fantasyland, land but there was a pirates arcade museum so to speak more arcade than museum um and there is still a piece left in what is pieces of eight sorry for the for the rhyme there but but there is still actually um uh, such a um a arcade type attraction there. Perhaps um, a little bit more known is that um, Pirates, well Tom Sawyer Island had always been across the rivers of America, but a number of years ago in connection with the, um, the Jerry Bruckheimer uh, Pirates of the Caribbean blockbuster films, it was decided to put a sort of uh, thematic lair on top of Tom Sawyer's Island, and that became Pirate's Lair at Tom Sawyer Island. Um, And then the other piece that is kind of prominent, but it's not so easily seen is the Columbia Sailing Ship, which actually was part of the original uh, press event, which opened Pirates. You wouldn't note it as being a pirate ship during the day. Oh, but at night it comes alive and we'll talk about that when we get to entertainment. At um in New Orleans, there is a restaurant that is truly spectacular if you've never been to Disneyland before, you've only been to um uh to Walt Disney World, you're probably familiar with the restaurant that overlooks um uh the Three Caballeros Grand Tour or um, was originally Rio del Tiempo. That whole kind of look and feel with the boat sailing by the restaurant. Well, that original concept came from the Blue Bayou Table Service restaurant. It's like dining in the backyard of a plantation, and it overlooks the bayou, and it is stunningly beautiful. It is the home of the Monte Cristo sandwich, which has been a favorite of guests for many years. There's also a smaller kiosk, and I only mention it because it's kind of attached between the Blue Bayou and the, and the entrance to Pirates of the Caribbean. It's the, the Royal Street Veranda. There's also some shopping. Um, Pieces of Eight has been around for many years, and it's really, as you exit Pirates of the Caribbean, it's off to the side. And then there was actually once uh, something called Lafitte Silver Shop, that was part of uh, the experience. So, so that is also one of the shopping areas, but one of the things they learned really quick is there was not enough space to provide for retail. The get, you know, the joke with Disney is that you always empty out into a gift shop. This probably was the moment where they said, yeah, we need to rethink this in a bigger way. Um, The same came true when they built the Haunted Mansion uh, a few feet away few yards away. They didn't do anything in terms of retail there either. In terms of entertainment, you could find um, the Disneyland Pirates band performing from time to time. Again, pre-COVID a little bit, but, but, um, but you can, there's a little band that comes out every once in a while and plays to guests. Captain Jack has made appearances. And when one of the films came out, well, um, actually not when one of the films came out, when there was a major change to the bride auction scene they created a character in the redhead and she came out to do appearances and really a lot of fun in that regard but the thing that is probably the entertainment centerpiece is phantasmic it takes place right smack dab in front of pirates of the caribbean and probably one of the most pivotal scenes in that show is the emergence of the columbia sailing ship a full-masted ship that originally had Peter Pan and Captain Hook fighting with each other, but now has Captain Jack Sparrow and all the pirates from Pirates of the Caribbean fighting with each other. And it is a, it's a it's a wow scene. Guests who have seen Fantasmic at Disneyland and then go to Walt Disney World are usually disappointed because the Pocahontas scene kind of replaces that. And to most people, that is not a replacement. This is a pretty pretty cool scene that takes place uh, in there, and it is part of the entertainment offering. Now, what about the attraction itself? Well, this is a stately New Orleans-style building. It has a spire that's been inspired by the um, Cabildo in New Orleans' Jackson Square. So it looks like it is part of New Orleans Square. As you enter into it, it, this is where it gets a little funky because the minute you walk into this very stately looking building, you see the boats in front of you, which is kind of cool from an anticipation point of view, but the, 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 the flow of how come I can see a boat on a river or a canal right in front of me when I just entered a house is, is kind, of, kind of funky. And so, um, but, but that's what happens. And then you work your way to what's known as Lafitte's Landing. Lafitte's Landing is named after a French pirate, Jean Lafitte, who actually fought alongside Andrew Jackson in the Battle of New Orleans. So it just perfectly ties to real history that took place. Um, what about the attraction itself? Well, it is, it, is the, it is the attraction by which everything else has been built and varied on. So it's really hard to say what's the unique differences when in truth, it's what it is. Everybody else is different than it. But the original I should note has two drops that occur um, after you pass by um, the, uh, the uh, skeletal head. Um, and also I should mention that it was the first attraction to add Captain Jack Sparrow and the other film editions. Now, this may be news for some of you younger people, but the film came out decades after the ride came out in 1967. It was only built upon the concept of the ride. And so when characters like Barbosa and Captain Jack Sparrow were added, they were like, okay, people were then going, younger people were going on the ride and going, well, where's, where's Jack, you know? And so eventually, the parks had to start adding them and and they were the first to do that. Now, all that said and done, Disneyland was the first, but it was not the last. (laughs) What followed, well, as well received as Pirates of the Caribbean uh, was, there was no plan to build the same attraction in Walt Disney World five years later. Um, the sentiment that was going on among Imagineers at the time was that, oh, gee, we're so close to the Caribbean, we're so close to New Orleans, we're so close to these themes. Why build so something so similar um, in style and nuance? It's not as mystical. Moreover, I'll just tell you this, Imagineers don't like to repeat themselves. They like to do something new. And Imagineer Mark Davis who played a major role in creating the characters that you see in Pirates of the Caribbean, was simply more interested in bringing the romance of the West to the East Coast. Well, that kind of makes sense because really what New Orleans and Pirates of the Caribbean was, was bringing that corner of the world over to California. He wanted to do that in reverse and bring cowboys and Indians and all of that to from the west to the east coast in Florida. And he wanted to do it via an attraction that would be known as the Western River Expedition. Now, there's a lot. We could do a whole nother series of podcasts on the Western River Expedition. Um, But guests had heard plenty. In fact, I should just mention one thing about Western River Expedition. When When Magic Kingdom opened, So there's no pirates. There's not even a Western River Expedition. That was going to be phase two to be built like two or three years after the park first opened in 1971. And so, but they sold a postcard of Western River Expedition, what it looked like from the rafts of Tom Sawyer Island, looking over to what is now Big Thunder and Splash Mountain Hint. You could see where that's going to end up going. But here's what happened. Guests came to Walt Disney World. They heard plenty Um, about Pirates of the Caribbean previously, even many of them having seen Walt Disney pitch the attraction on TV. So they were astonished that this signature attraction wasn't there on day one when Walt Disney World opened. As complaints came into City Hall and as a simultaneous energy crisis started to slow down tourism, the Disney executives at the top of the food chain thought it best. You know what? We don't have t- we don't have the money to reinvent a whole new attraction. People are crying out for Pirates of the Caribbean. Let's just save ourselves some money and get that Pirates built. Unfortunately, it wasn't as simple as just rubber stamping the same one that was um, originally in California. The reason that was is because when you ride Pir- Pirates of the Caribbean, you actually those two falls that I mentioned earlier actually takes you to a subterranean level beneath the first level where that restaurant, where the boarding area, where most of the, where where you first sail, it takes you below into the caverns and caves and waterfalls and everything. At, In Florida, you can't do that. You can't dig because we're in a swamp here. And so they had to kind of shorten that piece. And it's almost like nearly a third of the attraction has been removed. Also, Mark Davis felt like going at Walt Disney, at Disneyland, at the end of the ride, you went back up the waterfall. Walt Disney explained this himself. So, if you went down the waterfall, how would you get up? Would you go? And Julie Taymor, uh, not Julie Taymor, but the uh, uh, the Disneyland ambassador said, um, "Julie, I can't remember her last name, but anyway, she goes. Well, would you go up the waterfall? Oh, of course, it's Disneyland." And so the idea was, guests would go back up the waterfall and then back to the landing where they would disembark, while new other guests would board. Well. Mark Davis didn't like this whole thing of the going up the waterfall. It didn't make any sense to story anything like that. So they took that piece out. Anyway, and by the way, if you if you did do it, and I have been backstage at the Magic Kingdom, um I would say that you drop a total of somewhere between nine and twelve feet. You do not actually go very far down in that attraction. It may feel that way because you're completely in the dark, but it is not the distance that you are going on those two drops at Disneyland. Anyway, that's one of the reasons why they don't have you go back up the falls. Um, uh, Anyway, the result was for Magic Kingdom that the attraction was shorter. And um, in addition, they chose a completely different theme, that would center around a Caribbean plaza as opposed to the French Quarter of New Orleans. So that's that's how we get what we have to get. So opening in December 15th of 1973, Caribbean Plaza neighborhood, it's a neighborhood in, um, in Adventureland, has this Spanish-influenced architecture. And it works really well because it transitions you from the other portions of Adventureland into the back half of Frontierland. So it really actually works quite nicely. There are um, there are some past and present um, attractions for lack of a better um, better definition, one of which is there was originally a Caribbean arcade. Again, Disney was really into the arcades in the 70s. So there's one of that. That's long gone. But a favorite of guests, which uh, I personally love, in fact, I love more than Sorcerers of the Magic Kingdom, is a Pirate's Adventure, um, Treasures of the Seven Seas. Um, I really like uh, that. Uh, I really like that interactive play area, and it takes you through not just the Caribbean Bazaar through, but through several sections of Adventureland as you look for clues and so forth, and they have some really great interactive elements with it. Um, What's disappointing is that they did not add a restaurant overlooking all of this like they did with the Blue Bayou. Now, we do have Tortuga Tavern across the way, and it helps complement and balance out the whole plaza area. That was, by the way, formerly called um, uh, the Pirate El Perico, uh, or Pirata del Perico, the Pirate and the Parrot, and it's across the way. In fact, you can actually see, if you look up in the rafters of that restaurant, you can actually see the original signage of it. So it's very cool there. Um, Shopping-wise, One of the big, there are a couple of big improvements they made with this attraction, despite the, or with this area, despite what they did to the attraction itself. One of which is, this is the ultimate empty out into a gift shop experience. This really um, has a full size. Now, originally, actually, there were several uh, different little, there used to be, it's now called Plaza del Sol Caribe Bazaar used to be called House of Treasure and the Golden Galleon and La Princesa uh, de Cristal, which is uh, Arriba's brother's little crystals thing. They still have a kiosk for that. Um, and they still do leather goods in that gift shop. So there's some, some goods there. Um, and uh, they've taken one portion of the um, area. They used to have a photo area in that area. And then um, Pirates League, which, um, was an oper- which was an which was a pirate version of Bippity Boppity Boutique. That also was uh, part of and that closed just it was actually going to close uh, last summer, but because of COVID, it actually ended up closing earlier. and I don't think it will ever reopen. It looks pretty, pretty well closed but that was a whole attraction in and of itself and, and kind of linked to the uh, retail area. Um, in terms of entertainment from, uh, they have, uh, originally they had a steel drum band. In fact, I want to say they actually created a record. Um, but you used to be able, um, to hear the sounds of the steel drum band that used to play. Um, more recently they've had what's known as Captain Jack Sparrow's Pirate Tutorial which is very which was really kind of a fun interactive thing with the kids more recently it's just been reduced to captain jack uh, appearances but maybe they'll go back to the tutorial what about the attraction well i talked about how the attraction was shortened but there are some things that are really very cool about the attraction i think that the whole look and feel as you enter it's a little hard. You could go by Pirates of the Caribbean at Disneyland and not realize that you that you just walked by one of the most major signature attractions in the world. It's not as it is not as, much, you know uh, Walt Disney called it kind of a weenie at the end of the stick. And in terms of location it was, but in terms of architectural presence and the way it faced out to the water instead of faced toward guests coming towards you, it it really never stuck the landing in my view. Here it sticks the landing. Um, the whole entrance area is based uh, of El Castillo is based on the Castillo de San Felipe del Moro in uh, San Juan, Puerto Rico, and it does a really nice job with the with the clock tower and everything of just taking all the architectural elements from that. You really feel like you are in a Caribbean. Uh, place. It's very cool. We're going to have um, more of, uh, about this in our, in our uh, Wayfinder Society um, app. But notwithstanding, it is a really great entrance. And what they did really well for this attraction is they created a queue with a lot of space. Um, a lot of space to weave in, guess in and out of, which they just simply did not have at Disneyland, especially uh, originally in there. So um, you kind of, uh, the El Castillo host sections to include supply areas, um, armories, even a prison where you see two skeletons playing chess below. That's a whole nother story that's we got to cover on another day. But um, all of this is taking you to Pirates Bay boarding dock where you hear an adjacent cave where there are noises coming from the cave. And then you board a boat. And I don't know that most people see this. It didn't, it, sometimes you're so focused looking ahead, you don't look to the right. But if you look to the right, you see that there is a ship passing by the night in the distance, in the, in the distance of the moonlight. It's a very, it's a very cool looking. But uh, most people kind of miss this. Um, but that is the, the, the attraction and the queue and the boarding area. Um, um, really is what makes uh, this Pirates even better. Uh, I should mention a couple of unique differences. Um, originally, they used to have a Barker bird uh, at the um, exit. It was later put at the entrance of the park, and then it was removed and taken to World of Disney, though. I never saw it there. Um, that's long since gone. But there used to be, you know, welcome aboard Big T, you know, and that type of thing. And he had a patch over his eye and the whole thing and uh, trying to get you to come to Pirates of the Caribbean. And it was a nice little um, uh, invitation to come in. Uh, over, the time, over time they added Captain Blackbeard and then later Davy Jones. They had this water mist screen as you went into the initial cavern. They've since taken that out or have turned it off. Um, don't know if it'll come back. It was a kind of a cool thing. You kind of really thought you'd get wet going through the mist, but you never really did. Probably the biggest thing is the, is the ending. At the Disneyland ending, you come to a place where pe- pirates are firing at each other with guns across the way and, and sitting on top of cannons. And you just kind of caught in a crossfire of a pirate fight. Here you come to the end and you come by a treasure room with Captain Jack and he's sitting back enjoying his treasures and gold. And in fact, that's where you find the bird. And uh, and then afterwards, you disembark uh, before the boat ascends back up to the loading areas. So, so that's really what makes that ride attraction uh, unique and different. Now, what happens next? At the same time Disney was building Epcot, they had the privilege and opportunity of building Tokyo Disneyland. And they were a little overwhelmed. They had they had maxed out their Imagineering talent and engineering talent and architectural talent. and Everybody on building everything that was coming with Epcot. And so the idea was, okay, we're going to build this park for you, but we're going to take you to Disneyland. And we're going to take you to the Magic Kingdom at Walt Disney World. We want you to look at each and you tell us which one you want of these, which, which rides and attractions you like best out of each of the lands. So Cinderella Castle at the Magic Kingdom, that one hands down. And that's why you see the very same castle uh, there. They didn't have time to build. They didn't have talent to build a new castle or something different. That's why you see the identical castle there. They also loved Magic Kingdom's facade for um, Haunted Mansion so they took that the facade for what was Tomorrowland and the entrance to that they took but they took the Space Mountain from Disneyland largely had a couple of differences in the queue when it came to Pirates of the Caribbean hands down they took Disneyland's version it was simply better and in fact they even added the New Orleans Square not entirely There are some differences in the New Orleans Square where you get to kind of roam in the back where the alleys and streets get narrower. You don't really do much of that here in this. It's more of just an entire front. But there are shops and there is dining and it's and it is thematically laid out very similar to what you if you were just to walk by it, you would say this looks exactly like New Orleans Square at Disneyland. What really stands out about this version of Pirates, which when you go inside, what really makes a difference is that, and why you should go on this Pirates of the Caribbean. Because by and large, it's very similar to the Disneyland version. However, the difference between it and all other Pirates of the Caribbean is that Tokyo management knows how to care for attraction. They know how to keep animatronics up and running in their prime. They know how to get that lighting just right. They know how to get the boats flowing the way they should. They do everything nearly perfect at Tokyo Disney. And so if you want to see if you want to see what Pirates of the Caribbean might have looked like on opening day at Disneyland, you got to go to Tokyo. See it because it looks like opening day every day at uh, Tokyo Disney. Now, that Pirates of the Caribbean opened on April 15th of 1983, which was um, the opening day for Tokyo Disneyland itself. Um, There are no other pirate related attractions, it's the only park that really doesn't have other kinds of rides or attractions or interactive experiences based on Pirates of the Caribbean. They don't have anything else. What they do have is they have the same identical Blue Bayou table service, slightly different menu um, for Japanese taste. But, um, but if you want that dining experience, you can have it at Tokyo Disney. They have uh, some shopping. Uh, they have the Golden Galleon, they have Pirate Treasure. Again, you, they kind of flank as you exit the attraction. Um, they have Blackbeard's portrait deck, which offers kind of a photo experience. They too also have a little brass band during, um, uh, higher occupancy levels, um, during certain season, peak seasons that they'll bring out. And then occasionally, in fact, actually that pirate brass, I kind of, kind of comes out in a little tiny boat. It's re- they, that's how they get their, um, percussion instruments, drums, and so forth on it. It's really kind of cute. Um, and occasionally Captain Jack will, will come out or um, come out with them. They don't do as much in terms of face characters at Tokyo Disney because it is such an expensive price to get that look and feel and bring it to Tokyo and to and to pay somebody to live in Japan. Uh, while they offer up that type of thing. And, you know, you need more than one in order to keep it going every day. So they don't do a whole lot of that, but when they do, they do. Um, What about the attraction itself? Well, the entrance of this building is the same as Pirates of the Caribbean on opening day. What I mean by that is when they created Fantasmic at Disneyland, they realized they were going to have huge traffic problems. So they created this kind of bridge with with the queue for pirates going underneath it and weaving behind it. And it was kind of clever, but it's it all the more has kind of hidden Pirates of the Caribbean from guests. You, you just simply have to know where it is. Here it's a little bit more obvious and it looks like day one of when Pirates of the Caribbean opened at Disneyland. You just come right in the front entrance. What is good is they did remedy, um, some of the challenges they had, by the way, I should also mention one of the things that's really cool about this is that they don't have main street at Tokyo Disney. They have world bazaar. And the big difference in this, besides the fact that it's covered for inclement weather, that is the biggest difference. But beyond that difference is, you know how you have at Disneyland and Magic Kingdom, you have these little side streets on the side one was taken away with Magic Kingdom, but you still have that side street, center street um, down the thing. Well, those side streets actually go to lands. They take you someplace. On one side, it takes you to Tomorrowland. The other side, it takes you right into this New Orleans Square portion of Adventureland. So it's it's New Orleans is more of a neighborhood to Adventureland there. And it's very cleverly kind of woven through in this area. I really like this. And I love the idea that within a few minutes, you can be in that land and you don't have to go all the way down toward the hub and then all the way back in in a different direction. So one of the things I really like, but the the other problem they had with Pirates of the Caribbean, remember at Disneyland is they didn't have a lot of space for queue. They didn't take the El Castillo approach which would have been an interesting approach, I think. But what they did do is they built what's called the grand foyer. And so, as you enter the building, you veer to the left, and there is this fairly large switchback queue in an adjacent room. It's very ornate, um, very almost. It's this. It's this. It's this point where Main Street meets New Orleans. It's that. It's that kind of. Um, uh, gingerbread architecture, intricacy, Victorian look and everything. It's just really, really uh, smart. And it helps guests from getting wet in inclement weather, which happens a whole lot more in Tokyo than it does in the California and Florida parks. And then eventually it makes its way to Lafitte's Landing. Now, a couple unique differences about the attraction. Uh, it is largely English, but there are points where you have uh, Japanese. Uh, Dead Men Tell No Tales, I believe that part is given in Japanese or it's given both in Japanese and English. It's nearly identical to Disneyland, but Tokyo actually still has the same problem that, um, that uh, Magic Kingdom has. It too is, uh, does not have a water table. If you're not familiar with Tokyo Disney, you should know that this entire piece of property sits um, on a landfill. In fact, the landfill actually comes from the debris and the destruction that came as a result of World War II. All of that was pushed out into the sea and it filled the space and that has become the space that was used, it was decided that would be used for recreational purposes and eventually went into the hands of the Oriental Land Company. And they persuaded the Japanese government to build Tokyo Disney there, but you're actually on a landfill and because of that, you can't go very far. So they have only one drop as I best recall. Um, And, um, and actually you will also disembark before the boat goes back up again. It, like you do at Magic Kingdom. It doesn't go back up with you in it like it does at Disneyland in California. The other thing that is major, they do have Jack and Barbosa and so forth and other elements of, of the film, but they have not changed the take a wench for a bride auction scene. That scene is still left intact. Call them not as politically correct. Call it what you want but that scene is still played out the same way it has always played out, um, in the original. So that's one of the other things. And then the final thing is, again, they just do a great job of keeping it looking beautiful. All right. Now we fast forward to Disneyland Paris, which comes nine years after the opening of Tokyo Disney. And People say Disneyland Paris is perhaps the most beautiful park. I think they really learned from the other three parks in creating the best Magic Kingdom-style park possible. <laughs> Under the Imagineering leadership of Chris Teets and Tony Baxter, this version of Pirates stays true to all the components found in the first three Pirates version. Only they've taken everything and mixed it all up. And um, they've created a different combination of events to share a story that honestly makes a little bit more sense, but you're gonna have to write it several times for it to make sense to you because you're probably used to seeing it one way. The big difference, I mean, there are many differences, but the big difference is that, The grotto scene with the skeletons, which occurs at the beginning of all three previous attractions, all of that is forwarded to the very end of Pirates. It becomes, after a blast scene, where the dynamite goes off and you're blast away, um, down a waterfall and the waterfall all changes. You actually go way up originally. You go up to what's kind of a flooded plain and then you go down portion to one part, and then you go down to the final part. So, this thing is on multiple planes, and um, and it's just it's just it's very clever how they did it. And the and the 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 dead men's skulls and skeletons and and after effects at the it kind of kind of sends the message that hey, this is what happens when you act like a pirate during your life. So it's it's very clever how they have done that. But the other thing that's also really clever about this um, version is that the pirate theme spills over in a far bigger way than it has ever done before. Mind you, Caribbean Plaza does a pretty good job. New Orleans Square Disneyland is okay. This takes you to a whole nother place, in particular, a place called Adventure Isle. There you go see Skull Rock and Captain Hook's pirate ship. There you see a pirate's beach. There you see Swiss Family uh, Treehouse. Remember, they fought off the pirates in the film. There you see Ben Gunn's cave, which dates to um, um, Treasure, um, Treasure Island. Um, and that original Disney movie going way back. It's all about pirates and it's, They've taken the the Tom Sawyer Island concept and they've made that kind of playground romp around the place, explore caves and and bridges and all that. They've made that theme to Adventureland. They have no Jungle Cruise. On the island in Frontierland that would have been Tom Sawyer Island, they've made and put... Big Thunder Railroad is. So they have done some brilliant things with this. So lots of pirate related attractions there. They don't have the Blue Bayou Table Restaurant. They have what originally was called the Blue Lagoon Table uh, Service Restaurant, which was later changed again to play up the films to Captain Jack's. And I will say, I think this was a really cool potential setting because it's really like dining on a beach in eternal moonlight and in a tropical hideaway oasis. Unfortunately, it was one of the worst experiences I ever had in a theme park because when I first went to Disneyland Paris, I think it was in 2000, We had one day, I was with a um, marketing partner of mine and we were headed towards South Africa. We had a layover in Paris. So we thought, why don't we take in Disneyland, Paris for the day and then head on over to um, South Africa. Well, in walking to our seat, the lighting level was so bad, especially coming from outside and there were steps and everything that my partner tripped and messed up her her foot so badly that I was pushing her in a wheelchair. And I gotta tell you the pain when you're flying at 30,000 feet in the air and it's throbbing, she went through a ton of pain on that trip, a ton of inconvenience. And I don't even remember the menu being anything decent. So unfortunately I need to maybe give it another chance someday, but I will be watching my step when I do that. Um, that said, um, they do have the uh, quintessential gift shop. It's called Le Coffe de Capitan. Um, and as I recall, there's a parrot that's kind of watching you when you're inside that store uh, as you're exiting Pirates. Um, they have Captain Jack Sparrow going around in a Neverland pirate band that moves around. Um, the attraction itself is a rugged, battle scarred, kind of stone fortress more gray than the yellows you find in El Castillo. Um, but what really kind of makes you, it, what really makes this different is it looks like the pirates have raided the fort and taken it over. Um, you are eventually led in the queue through a rocky grotto that flows into a secret underground entrance to the fort's armory. All this leads you to a place called the landing on a white sand beach um, f- that you would typically find in, in a West Indies type island. And from there, you um, you go on this very unique Pirates of the Caribbean. It is just different. A couple other highlights besides the changes I talked about. Um, they really make it look like you have purpose in going up. This is the only other one where you actually go upstream. And um, it, what they have is these um, this kind of winch hosting system that was supposed to drag cargo up and it's now dragging you up. It's very clever. Um, they have a sword fighting duel in Pirates, which looks like a sword fighting team. They have Captain Barbosa as an animatronic, which changes to a ghost pirate when lightning and thunder crackles. So that too is really clever. And then you know how you pass through Splash Mountain? On the way through the Walt Disney World, train and, and the Disneyland train. Well, here you actually get to see part of Pirates of the Caribbean from the train as it goes around the backside of, uh, of Disneyland Paris. So all those are really like cool little points. Very well done. They have taken everything they learned and they built something really, um, great. And I have a terrific video on our, um, page and on YouTube, you can go to YouTube and actually get this one, but it's a, it's an interview of Imagineer Chris Teets. You might want to, I'd, I'd watched the whole interview. It's a, it's about a 15 minute interview. He, he was in charge of all of Adventureland. If you just want to go to the Pirates of the Caribbean section, it's around the seven minute mark, but he's just, he did this brilliant, brilliant concept of making this all come together. It's very, very clever. And by the way, the other segue, you know, we talk a lot about how, um, Caribbean Plaza kind of weaves you from Adventureland into Frontierland. Also very clever in the weaving is that they put Peter Pan's flight adjacent to, um, to uh, Pirates of the Caribbean as you move from Fantasyland to Adventureland in that section. Adventureland sits high instead of Frontierland. Um, It sits high next to Fantasyland. And they kind of weave that together. Of course, Peter Pan's flight is the original pirate ride, isn't it? So um, anyway, so it kind of creates one space. Again, very clever. And in the uh, interactive app that we have for this, we have... Scores of photos and things showing you all of these different rides and attractions. It's so cool. Now we get to um, Shanghai Disneyland. Um, Walt Disney World and Tokyo Disney were at best an evolution from Disneyland. Disneyland Paris mixed all the elements up, but they were still the same element. Here in Shanghai Disney, the paradigm for this attraction has completely changed. Yes, it's about pirates. Yes, you're in a boat. That's eh, pretty much where comparison ends. This is truly redefining the experience, particularly around the, the infamous Jerry Bruckheimer films. Uh, this, this has, this is so cool. And what makes it especially cool is that it is not just an attraction, it's not even just a neighborhood of adventure land, um, but rather it is an entire land in and of itself. It has five neighborhoods within the land. The entry area, which includes where the canoes are. You have a um, shipwreck shore. You have landlubber landings. So you have kind of like these two dock areas. You have Fort Snobbish where the main attraction is. And then the village which also goes to the main entertainment. Not only do you have um, Pirates of the Caribbean, um, uh, Battle for the Sunken Treasure, you also have explorer canoes, which is interesting because so, so Pirates are a Treasure Cove. What it has done is it, it sits on a body of water. It's, it's kind of a lake. But then there's a piece of land and the canoes kind of go wide out into this lake and you're kind of out, way out in the open on the canoes. And then it goes on to a kind of a narrow river, which actually becomes part of what is Adventure Isle, which is Shanghai Disney's Adventureland. Very, very interesting. The only disappointing thing about the canoes is, and we'll, ha- I'll have to do another podcast on on Treasure Coat, but... But the only problem with the canoes is that it's not, there's not a lot of theming. In fact, the, the highlight was this iguana and I'm not sure that it was real or not. You know iguanas just kind of sit there. I wasn't sure if it was real or not. And so that was the highlight of that canoe um, experience, but I wanted to say I did it, so I did it. And um, anyway, um, so you have that, you have something called, as, as well as additional attractions, you have Shipwreck Shore which is this landing where these sh- ships have, have uh, sh- shipwrecked so to speak. And it's really a water interactive play area, more toward the younger set. Um, but still, anybody can roam and enjoy it. And then you have Siren's Revenge, which is kind of a very well-designed interactive experience, a little bit more like a pirate's adventure treasure of the seven seas at Magic Kingdom but it's on a big pirate ship and you're walking it's it there is theming dripping all over this thing it is truly amazing and while i'm here i should just talk about the entertainment because captain jack appears and there are pirates roaming around but the really coolest piece of entertainment to be found anywhere is an attraction a big theater, Teatro something. Um, it is Eye of the Storm, Captain Jack's Stunt Spectacular. And let me tell you, the pre-show is kind of obnoxious because you're kind of tight together in the space that you're in, and you're having to stand through the whole space, and it's all in Mandarin, so you have no idea what they're talking about. But then you get to the theater portion, and you watch this show, and it is amazing and i say amazing because this hurricane will blow in to the theater open everything wide up so you see into the harbor and captain jack and somebody else ends up doing this pirate fight while floating in midair no wires attached if you know if you're familiar with these attractions where you can feel like you're skydiving and there's this enormous fan underneath that blows you up in the air. These stunt performers are up in the air and they're fighting each other with swords while, I mean, it has just blow me away. Literally, I'm sorry because the wind, but it is, it is truly an amazing attraction. Added to that, you have, um, the Blue Market, which is at the exit of the attraction. It's their big gift shop with lots of Pirates of the Caribbean stuff. Um, and then dining. Um, <laughs> two things. I, um, one is Barbosa's Bounty, which is more of a counter service kind of style restaurant with dining areas that are different rooms that pay homage to the different characters in Pirates of the Caribbean. And it's quite, I mean, you you really kind of go from these rooms to these rooms to these rooms, but if you can get to the back room, you get to this outdoor porch area, which overlooks the boats that are sailing past you on the way. So it's a little bit like Blue Bayou, not the same in terms of fine dining by any stretch, but, um, but Hey, you didn't have to pay the prices to just really enjoy this little scene going on in the back. And, and so it's, it's really kind of quite cool. The other thing I should mention is like, um, Tortuga Tavern at Magic Kingdom. They're always selling something that really doesn't amount to much like hot dogs. And I think they've even done Turkey legs there. Tortuga treats, at um, Treasure Cove does turkey legs. And let me tell you, not only was there a long line for the turkey legs, there were people who were buying several turkey legs and then turning around and selling those turkey legs for a premium to the people in the back of the line. That's how crazy it was at um, Shanghai Disney. So let's get to the real masterpiece. this attraction and that is um again Pirates of the Caribbean Battle for the Sunken Treasure it hides behind in a show building that actually I believe I've heard to be larger than any other show building ever done for Disney now I say that because when you go on Disneyland's Pirates you actually are in two show buildings so it's kind of not quite the same. You're connected underneath by a tunnel that goes under the train, but you're really in two show buildings. Kind of like the same with Haunted Mansion. You have the mansion, then you have the show building. But at any rate, here you have this thing called Fort Snobbish, and it hides um, that show building. It's a former fortress of the Royal Navy. And, um, And as you go to Kew, you go through these various sections of Fort Snobbish to include courtyards, map rooms, supply rooms, abandoned jail cells, graveyards, even a glimpse of the boat sailing through um, the attraction, which also I believe you get to do when you are in line at Disneyland Paris. The, um, beyond that, what makes this attraction unique? Well, it's all in Mandarin. And in fact, I'll probably try to, on the, um, Patreon site put, although you could do a search for it yourself, um, Disney actually did a version of the entire ride with English subtitles. So you could actually see what's being said, which really does kind of help see what everybody's talking about. Um, the, The first thing you notice is that the boats you are boarding are huge. They are much wider than the bateau. French word for boats that are used in the other Pirates of the Caribbean. The second thing you notice about these large boats is that they have inboard speaker systems. This is important because in Pirates of the Caribbean, the idea was not to script everything, but as Walt Disney put it, it's kind of like a cocktail party where when you mingle and move around, you hear different conversations and you come back to different conversations as you Every time, you, every time you go back through it, you kind of hear something new. That doesn't matter so much when you speak English and you don't understand Mandarin. You're not going to hear something new out of the experience. Here, this is actually going to be more scripted as a dialogue. Everybody, and you'll see this when you go through that, that video, you'll see that there is a particular plot point that is played out, a particular story element that's played out in every scene that you go through. Uh, The other thing that's very cool about these boats is that they're like omnimovers, but on water. In other words, through a series of magnets, which would actually make them more like the people mover at uh, Tomorrowland in Magic Kingdom, but these magnets can turn this boat in different directions. Um, And that allows you to kind of control where the guests are looking at any given time. So it's a very kind of cool thing. Additionally, there are these massive IMAX style screens. You go into the just unfold with these scenes where you go below the water, where you reemerge um, out of the water. It, is, um, it's, it just blows you away when you're in it um, to begin with. And then towards the end, you are caught in the crossfire of two boats just right in the narrow neck of that one of those boats you end up going into you it's you're blasted out of and you are sent backwards all this um plus a combination of advanced animatronics that they use um with uh um not just uh jack sparrow but also with um Uh, um, Davy Jones who plays the organ and so forth just so cool just so cool and and they combine those animatronics with some pepper ghost effects that are very cool needless to say this is a Pirates of the Caribbean that is unlike any other you have ever seen Well, that more than does it for today. We've gone globally around the world to talk about all things Pirates of the Caribbean, and yet there is so much more. And that's why we're talking about the Disney Wayfinders Society. It's our new Disney at Work and Play Patreon group. We're offering a new program where you have the opportunity to enjoy exclusive offerings from Disney at Play and Disney at Work. Just join us as we introduce our new Patreon group, uh, The Wayfinder Society. It's intended to give you new insights to all things Disney, whether it's work or play. I, I think you're going to love it. We offer four tiers for becoming a part of all that we have to offer. The first two, Explore and Discover, are associated with Disney at Play and they're focused on fun facts and excitement that all of us enjoy, enjoy as Disney fans. In fact. Uh, what you find when you go there is that we have this whole new interactive app that is going to be based on Pirates of the Caribbean. And this podcast, but along with videos and photos and descriptions and a whole chart, will compare all of the Pirates of the Caribbeans. And then other sections that are coming along, we're going to go to the Magic Kingdom at Walt Disney World and talk about Pirates of the Caribbean there. We've got an interactive map that will take you through that attraction to show you what that uh, looks like. So we have um, some really great stuff. And and even before that, we've uh, we've already have out uh, a brand new interactive app based on Pandora World of Avatar. If you love that attraction, that land at Disney's Um, Animal Kingdom you are absolutely going to love this interactive app and so join us with Explorer Discovery you get access to those things plus some exclusive um, offerings and then um, if you join navigator adventure these are part of our Disney at work tiers and here you get to have some interactive app tours that take you into the parks and show you the business behind the magic and you're going to see things, hear stories that you can't see anywhere else. So please go to our Patreon page. We'll leave the link here on um, the podcast, but also at our Disney at Play uh, page that we have dedicated for this particular um, show. Check us out. I think you're going to find that of Patreon groups out there, we are not just saying thank you very much for... You know, being part of our Patreon group, we are providing real value, real exciting things for you to enjoy and and gain from. So, again, thank you for being part of our Disney Play podcast today. Be sure to subscribe to us. Be sure that you check us out. And always, in the words of Sinbad's Storybook Voyage, always follow the Compass your heart. Have a great day. We will see you real soon.